All right, what a beautiful start to the service, um, especially that song, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord. Uh, there's something so beautiful about it. We had a beautiful day yesterday, prayer meeting, and we've been out of the outreach and you've been there, and just really just overwhelmed by the sense of the Holy Spirit and, and his goodness to us, which kind of yeah, brings us to the start of this message. It's just It annoys me somewhat that the devil right at the very beginning insulted God. He actually said something about him that really annoys, it really angers me at the moment. Because he, he, he told the woman, said, has God really said? And he tried to seed in her the, this idea of doubt and what he said and what he was, because he had provided so much good for her. And it, it was a beautiful existence that he created for man to live in unity with him. And the devil's like, they said, no, he's, he actually maligned God's character. And it angers me. It angers me that she swallowed it. And she thought less of God for it. And that kind of brings us to this start, because what we're talking about is that God's word, what he is and his character is so beautiful, and I really want to capture that today, if we can in some way, just go be wholeheartedly his, and contrast that with the devil, which wants to malign him, which hates him, and which hates everything God stands for, and yet for which we so easily slide into his ways. And I want to be really wholeheartedly for our dear God. Our Lord Jesus, yeah? So we've been starting off in this place of God's word, which the devil wanted to malign and which he wanted us to doubt. And we find a lot of the topic today actually comes about how we then respond to God's word itself, which surprised me as I was going through the passages leading up to this theme. This is how much it was actually central, that the central theme was God's word and what we do with it actually defines a lot of what we're going to talk about today. And so when Jesus comes, I mentioned this in the previous sermon, but this was really a reset of the entire relationship we had with God. Mankind had failed by doubting him, by believing the devil, by sinning, and we were cast into a horrible situation of judgment where God's wrath is upon us. But God had a plan for us, which is a beautiful plan, that he was going to send his son in human form to come and redeem us. And when we kick off in John, and turn with me there if you will, we're going to do a little two or three John again, as I like to do as we preach these sermons. John chapter 1, verse 14, and we get those famous words. If you haven't heard them, you're about to. It says, the word, well actually, let's go to chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. God's word was there, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God and his words are inseparable. They are the same thing. And in verse 14 of John 1, we're told, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And if you've been following anything over the past series, you'll know that the main thing God's asking of us is how do we respond to this? That Jesus came down, his very word, and how do we respond? Do we believe him? This is the work of God, that we would believe in him whom he sent. Our belief in him is what defines this. Uh, but then we get all these extra little tidbits around how we respond to God's word and what that actually means for us. If we just two or through to John chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus is arguing and demonstrating to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious rulers, why you don't actually believe in him and what, why they're wrong. And essentially he says this, because in verse 38, you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe 
So their, their reception of God's word prior to Jesus was non-existent. They did not actually receive God's word. They were distorting it. They were turning it into man's word. They were corrupting it and allowing it to be compromised. They didn't accept it. And so when Jesus comes, they can't even see him for the trees in the forest. Uh, they just see a man who's going to challenge their current religious behaviour and they hate him. We flip through to John chapter 8 and go to verse 32. Jesus starts to flip this around. We saw before that the word didn't abide in these Pharisees. Now he says in John chapter 8 verse 31 and 32, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The beautiful thing about God's word is it is truth. As opposed to the devil at the very beginning, which was full of lies, his word is truth. And in fact, this thing gets explored a bit more in this chapter as we go down the rest of chapter 8 there. I'd be like, if you jump down to verse 37, you'll see that people are not receiving Jesus. Um, and in fact, they seek to kill him. Verse 37 says, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And then down a few more verses, 40, he says again, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. So as we start to get this idea of God's word, is that we say there's a number of things about it. The word is God. It's essentially one with his character. And his word is truth. We'll get some other verses that say that explicitly. God's word is truth. These three things, how we respond to God, his word, and truth, define how we're going to react in this world and how the world's going to see us and how God sees us. And you can see instantly here in this verse that it's a, a big contrast because we're told that the truth starts to expose things and it makes people agitated. The devil gets very agitated and he hates it. And that's the wrestle we're going to see as we explore this theme today is this wrestle between God's truth and the devil's lies. And where do we sit in that formula in the world? Let's go to chapter 14 now and just see one other little theme before we get to our main passage John chapter 14 verse 23 if anyone loves me he will keep my word I'm going to talk a bit about this word keep in a minute he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we'll come to him and make our home with him this is a promise of what God sees, people who believe his word and what he actually wants to do with them. He wants to come and make our home with them. Now, if you've been through uh, here over the last couple of months, we've been going through a series called the Living In Series, where we've been talking very much about this whole idea of God's word, because it, it, in its essence, what God asks of us in our Christian faith is that we would hear his word and that we would believe it and then that we would live it out, that we do it. And so we explore that over several sub-themes. We talk first about, will we actually believe it? Will we abide in his word? Do we abide in him? And that belief is actually abiding in him. So we are literally living in Christ, living in him through our belief in his word. Then we talked about what happens when the word's inside us, what comes out? Okay, that's Christ in us. And his power comes out. There are many great precious promises for those who believe his word. What will come out? He, they will do, he says, greater works than even he did. And that's not just a vain promise. That's some pretty heady stuff. He says that anything you ask in my name is going to be answered. He says you are going to bear fruit. And so we've been talking about the power of his word in us coming out. So now what we're getting to today, though, is saying if we believed it and his word abides in us, and we live that out, 
what is going to happen to us in this world? Right, again, it's quite a sober thought because it's at this point that the rub of the gospel gets very, very um, stark. Because suddenly we're going to see actually the world really is not interested in God's word and quite the contrary, it hates it. And if you're going to be real about believing in God, there's going to be some immediate friction across a whole bunch of levels. And we're going to kind of just explore that a bit through this next passage in John chapter 17. This is called the High Priestly Prayer. Jesus is praying for his disciples. It's one of the most beautiful passages in scripture, one of my all-time favourites. And he's praying for his disciples and for those who will come after, which is us. He's praying for us. And he starts to, and he just has so much rich content in there, just in the very way he's praying. So we're going to explore that through a couple of key verses in this. So this is John chapter 17. Let's go to verse 6. Jesus says to God, I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. My word before, he keeps my word. They've kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So he's talking to his disciples as those who have received his word. They believed it. They've kept it. And then we flip over to uh, verse 14, where he says again, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. The word, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. It was just beautiful not long afterwards. Jesus is about to be crucified and he's talking to Pilate. And Pilate's saying, what is the deal with you? Are you a king? Are you not a king? And he says, no, I am a king. And for this purpose I came into the world to witness to the truth. So what we want to ask is what are we going to do with the truth? What are we going to do with God's word and how are we going to let it actually change? Are we going to be like these disciples? Are we going to keep it? If we don't, it's a perilous situation. So are we going to keep it? So that very first verse that I just read there in, in John 17, verse 6, you gave them to me and they have kept your word. The Greek word is literally a keeping, a guarding, a holding onto. Is that kind of real, you know, I have this. Uh, this is mine, I'm keeping it, I'm looking after it, I'm keeping it safe. Jesus said in Luke 11, um, when he was talk, people were saying, oh, look, blessed is the, the mother who fed you. He says, no, no. Blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it. So we want to be those who keep the word of God. And the essence of keeping it is that we hold dear what God holds dear. We hold true what God holds true. And we're happy to wear that despite the fact that we're going to be living in a world that is the, the exact opposite of that. And so this is where this word sanctification comes in. As we got into chapter 17, we were reading of Jesus praying, sanctify them by your truth. If you keep his truth, that by nature sanctifies you. Does anyone know here what sanctification means? I've, I assume a lot of you will. 
Um, it was the big word. Thomas did a great analogy there. But essentially it is a separation or a setting apart. It is a making, when we describe God as holy, we say he is different and set apart from the rest of the world. He is different. And so his word is actually what makes us different. He says, sanctify them by your truth. And he cares very much that we are separated. Because if we're going to be very blunt about this, the world is under the influence of the devil. He hates God. He hates his truth. And the world he uses to the best of his ability to enforce his agenda. You ever go to Revelation in chapter 17 and you see the kind of these forces of the world which the, which the devil's co-opting, uh, depicted as a harlot, the great harlot, sitting over many waters, all the peoples of the earth. And she's described very vividly as this very opulent, wealthy woman who is full of abomination and fornication, sexual sin. So we're told in Revelation that she's arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls and in her hand a cup full of abominations. This is the devil at work. He is essentially entirely against God in every single way. And God has an immense judgment for him. And you don't have to read much further in Revelation where you see these massive judgments coming upon the world and upon the harlot and upon the devil uh, because they are so against God and they are full of this abomination. But before he goes to do that judgment, he calls his people out and he says, Come out from her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. So he literally calls his people out of this system, out of this world that's trying to fly against the face of everything God loves. And he says, get out, come out from among her, lest you partake of her plagues. And this is the will of God, is that we would sanctify ourselves by literally separating ourselves from the lies of the world and the, basically the workings of the devil in this world and cleanly cut ourselves off from it. We've been reading all these great and precious promises that Jesus gave to his people, those who keep his word and of the power that he has en masse for his people to demonstrate himself through them. I love this passage in 2 Timothy. We might turn there briefly because there's some good stuff in there. Uh, we just turn to 2 Timothy briefly. Because the situation here is that there's... Some false teachers, some bad people essentially in the church and he's saying to Timothy, you've got to separate yourself from them and from their sin. And if you want to be used by God, and I trust that you do, because there's some amazing power that God has at our disposal when we say, Lord, we love you and we love your word and we want you to use us. But if you're going to do that, you're going to have to do this. And that is separate yourself from the world. So let's take a look at verse uh, chapter two, yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Give me a moment to turn there. 2 Timothy 2, 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. He knows who are his. He knows who, those who have kept his word. And then he says, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If we're going to be his, if we're going to keep his word, we have to depart from the things of the world, iniquity, sin, literally. We have to rid ourselves 
of sin if we're going to be used. And this is what happens. He uses this analogy, Paul, as he's um, talking to Timothy here in verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honour and some for dishonour. Some which are going to be used by God, some which are going to be judged by God and destroyed. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honour, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Sanctified and useful for the master because they have separated themselves from these things, from sin, from wood and from clay. The insidious nature of this, of course, is that the world is trying to make itself look attractive and it is appealing to our old natures constantly in everything it wants to do. And the Lord is saying, rid yourself of all this stuff. Rid yourselves of these sins. You hear, you heard Thomas last week preaching uh, or just telling the stories uh, of these amazing men of faith. And he concluded with this chapter in Hebrews uh, where, where it says, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... All these faithful men and women of God who would literally call us, come and be faithful like us. Be men and women like us because we are just men and women. But he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Because it is that which is going to literally cut off what God has for you at the knees. If you're going to let yourself be drawn into the ways of the world. So we have to take this very seriously. And at this point, you just have to ask the practical application. And go, what does this actually mean day to day? Because the reality is that the world is becoming more and more emboldened about the way it would promote and try and tease and get sin into your life. We have entire industries predicated on the idea of immorality being popular and interesting to watch. And we dabble. Some of us are fully immersed in it with no shame. It's like, no, we have to rid ourselves of this kind of stuff. We need to actually separate ourselves properly. In the, in the book of Jude, he, was, he talks about how we kind of preach to the lost and we try and save those um, who, are, who are getting lost. But he says not so much to get entangled with them. In fact, in fact, he says, you know, save them from fire, but hate even the garment tainted by the flesh. Hate even the very thought that some aspect of their sin or worldliness would get on you in the process. We have to be so pure and cleansed from the world if we want to be used from, by him. If we're going to keep his word, it means we actually have to look at his truth really honestly and go, this is true and I'm actually going to hang myself on it. If it means I die, it means I die. If it means that I'm going to be embarrassed, it means I'm going to be embarrassed. And if it means I can't indulge myself anymore, I'm not going to indulge anymore. We have to get to the point where we are really ruthless with sin. And I could name a heap of things in our society and I don't want to just go on that kind of train and you know, condemn everything, but I kind of want to condemn everything. <laughs> you know, the, the aspect of this world at the moment is that literally everything where you look, it is polluted, it is distorted, whether it's in sexuality, whether it's in our games, whether it's in our interests, whether it's in just the mere riches and refinery that we would tempt ourselves away from the living God because we've got things we can enjoy, and pleasures we can indulge in, riches we can partake in, or sins that we want to come into. All right? And it shouldn't you know, need to be said, but it does. You know? the, the sexuality of this world is literally straight from the pit of hell. He's vomiting it out into our streets and in our midst through our screens. Right. The movement, the LGBT movement didn't come up overnight. It's come because for many, many decades, he's just been feeding a perversion of sexuality straight into our midst. And we've consumed it to a large extent. Like, God forgive us. God forgive us. 
And we need to be really ruthless with this stuff. Say, no, Lord, the Lord has created these things for a purpose and he is divinely good. And the devil is the one that tries to distort it. He says, no, you're designed for sexuality. You're designed, you know, it's the highest thing you can have. And anyone who would dare in any way inhibit any sexual tendency you have is a bigoted and hatred, is full of hate. That's the devil's lies. The reality is the truth of God says we have self-control. We restrain ourselves on these matters. We see marriage as this beautiful thing which God enriches and which God blesses and everything else being a perversion. And the devil is literally attacking that at every front. So at one level we need to sanctify ourselves and say, no, I will not have part in this anymore. I'm sick of watching TV shows or movies where it's just portrayed there and I'm just kind of, maybe I'll skip it a bit or whatnot. I just need to get rid of the stuff. All right? I mean, look, the reality is at the end of January when God really hit us, um, it, it shook us quite a lot. I was starting to watch stuff again last year. I was getting a little bit more kind of lax in terms of on a given evening. I didn't necessarily want to seek God. I was quite happy to spend time indulging in some way. Not, not an ex in fact, you probably might laugh at some of the stuff you would consider I was indulging in, just to be clear there. But nonetheless, it's been very hardcore. When God hits you and he says, I want to grab you and I want to use you, we have to be really real with what he means in terms of getting rid of this sin. I've not watched a thing. I've not watched a movie in, since that time, nearly six months now. feels great, actually. Um, and I'm not saying you can't watch anything ever. But I think we need to be really, really real with how subtly they've perverted things in so much of what we're watching and what we're indulging in. And so how can you be not tainted in some way? How does your idea of sexuality not get tainted by what you're consuming in some way? So that one level we're saying we're getting very real, we're going to sanctify ourselves, we're not going to get caught up in the things of the world. But then there's a second aspect to all this, uh, which is, has to be preached on and has to be understood. Because Jesus promised us tribulation in the world. That's one of his other promises. I'm not going to shy away from that. He's promised us power, he's going to do great works, he's going to make us fruitful, but he also promises tribulation. You wonder, well, how are we going to get tribulated? Yeah, why do we get tribulation in the world and it's for this very reason because when you stand up for the truth and you stand up for righteousness the world's going to hate you that's because the devil hates you right and when you go back to that earlier passage in john where he was just talking about the devil he says the devil hates the truth and that's why you want to kill jesus that's why they wanted to kill jesus and that's why when Jesus is praying for his disciples, he says, I've given them your word, and he just declared, they keep your word, they're faithful. He says, I've given them your word, and the word has hated them, because they are not of the world. So we have to be very real. Some of the stuff we're talking about today, when you're actually going to truly separate yourself, and when you're going to truly preach righteousness, I care what God thinks. I believe this word. I believe what he says about morality. I believe everything he says about me. The world hates it because the devil hates it. And let's be very, very clear about that. In John 7, he was telling people, he said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. And if you're going to look at any godly man or woman throughout history who has declared the truth of God, some people will receive it and a lot of people will hate it and they will suffer for it as a general rule. Jesus said, if the, they accepted your words, as he was telling the disciples to go out, if they accepted my words, they'll accept yours as well. There will be people who will hear the word and who will believe it. They're good soil. They're going to be fruitful. They are going to become born again, sanctified by him. But if they did not receive your word, they, did not receive my word, he says, they will not receive yours. There will be people who will hate it. And we have to wear that. We have to go, I do not care. 
I don't care one bit that the world hates this word. And at the moment, there's some pretty stark things where at the moment the devil's going to try and intimidate in every possible way the truth of God's word. He'll intimidate through threats. Think in Acts 3 when the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit in preaching the gospel and the Sanhedrin come against them, breathing threats. Paul was breathing threats and they threatened them. Do not speak. We're going we're to use whatever we can. And the devil does that now. He will do it in this society. He will write laws. He will write threats. Don't you dare speak out about the truth of God's sexuality, of God's design in that. Don't you dare say it's wrong for us to indulge in perversion. Right? And at some point we're going to have to live with the fact that it's too bad. I do not care about your threats, devil. I really do not care that you're going to put laws against it, that you're going to tell me I ought not, that I could have a whole bunch of people booing me in the street for it. I do not care because I care about God's truth. And we have a huge history of this in the Bible for us to see what happens when people preach God's word. And this often happens. It stirs up this kind of result. John the Baptist was preaching and people were flocking to him. He was preaching repentance. He was preaching of all his ways that sin was being manifested in the people. And he literally just named sin after sin. And he'd go through person after person saying, this is what you must do to right yourself. Stop, stop being abusive if you're a soldier. You know, just all these different areas where he said, this is the way to live now and this is the truth. People received it and for a while they rejoiced in the light, so to speak. Well, not so to speak, they rejoiced in the light, we're told. But at some point he goes, he rebukes Herod. Herod is the king. Herod had taken Herodias and he rebukes him. Literally the word is rebukes him, saying you cannot take another man's wife because she was married to another and he took him. And so we're told, and some people think, oh, maybe that was a wrong thing. No, it was not wrong. This is John the Baptist. This is his preaching of righteousness and he is telling the truth and he's actually calling out sin in the world. And he did so boldly. Now, I say that, we call it out boldly because we're called to. I'm not saying it's not going to be rough for us in so doing. Because what happens is Herod adds, of all the sins that he'd done, he says he added to it this, that he put John the Baptist in prison and he ultimately was beheaded because Herodias hated him so much. Um, she, she went to great lengths to have him beheaded. And so he died. If you think about Jesus' ministry, they hated him for the same reason. He said, I testify of your works. That's why you hate me. Why did they seek to kill him? Because they, he testified of the truth. Right. The first apostles, as we read about before, were very bold and were instantly threatened by the devil because they're preaching in this name. Stephen got up full of the power and the Holy Spirit. And this is seeing the promise of God's power. Amazing. He did signs and wonders amongst the people. They couldn't resist his wisdom. And then he sits down and he's basically brought before a whole crowd to judge and he reads the whole lot he goes through the history of the law and he points his finger at them and says you stiff-necked and hard-hearted people what which of the prophets didn't you kill and now you've killed the very lord himself because you hated him and the people were absolutely torn to shreds their hearts ripped apart they gnashed him on him with his teeth and as he even as he sees a vision of god and this is the beautiful thing god is with his people in these moments he gets a vision of glory the people hate him and they rush on him with one accord and they stone him to death i was reading the other day in the beginning of revelation john the apostle he's sitting on the isle of patmos does anyone know why was he there why does he say he was there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. We have to be very real that when we're preaching God's word, to be uncompromising, we have to be unflinching and unwavering in the threats of the devil. 
I can encourage you in that often when the devil threatens, he's not always going to follow through. In fact, often he doesn't. He's quite happy to intimidate. And we've seen that in all kinds of ways. I think I mentioned the story before where Pat Steele came down during the Dark Festival. And, and literally, they'd been saying, you cannot preach the gospel down here. And they're like, we do not care. We go down. So it was intimidation. Okay, nothing actually happened to them. There's a lot of people who've stood up for God, and it doesn't actually go bad for them. God does protect them. Sometimes it will, though, because sometimes it's God's will that we do suffer for his name. And next week, we are going to be talking about this idea of how do we withstand in tribulation. It's not an easy thing. But I wanted to give you the point, why do we get tribulation? Because you can easily get this wrong idea of what tribulation is. It's very really because you stand for God's word and the world hates it. The world hates it because the devil hates it. And that's why in this world you will have tribulation, but fear not. <laughs> I have overcome the world. So my encouragement for you all today is to get really, really real with the word of God and start to believe it and attach yourself to it to the point where you really do not care. Do you not care that you're going to give some stuff up in this world, that you're not going to indulge yourself in some of those things that the world's trying to pollute you in and get into your soul, because the devil's going to use that to cause damage in your life fundamentally. Um, if anyone who's ever indulged in sin eventually finds out, its way ends in death, its way ends in destruction. It is a very deceptive thing. It looks good only for a time, and it always destroys you at the end, and often far before you think. Right. So don't get caught up, don't get just indulge some of these little sins in your life. Don't get caught up in some little compromises in the way the world thinks or walks or what it tries to put onto you. Just get rid of it. And be bold with the word because I think there is times coming where it's going to get more and more intimidating. The devil's going to get more and more in our face. So how dare you preach from this word? This thing is a bigoted, hate-filled book. So no, it is the truth. It is the love of God for his people. And I love it. And we want to hold on to it no matter what comes our way. Amen? So let us not be the people who are going to shy back, but rather those who will run our race to its completion. Yeah. Let's pray, shall we? We'll pray for boldness and God will be with us throughout the rest of this morning. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for your word, Lord, and I love your word. We love you, Father, because you are such a beautiful Father. And Lord, we would exalt your name, Father, even when the devil would try to insult it, and to malign your character, Lord, we would declare that you are a good God, that you are true, that you are loving, Father, that you are merciful, Father, and that your gospel is precious, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us this mindset to be so armed, Lord, as people who name your name to depart from sin, to depart from iniquity, to be willing to rid ourselves, Lord, of the things of this world so that we would be set apart like vessels of gold and silver for your use, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would be vessels, Lord, fit for the use by our master, you, our king. Lord, I pray you would give us boldness, Lord, that in the face of threats, we'll continue to attach ourselves to your word, Father, and that we will keep it and hold it and love it and cherish it and proclaim it from the rooftops. I pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.